Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 436 for March 29th, 2015. This week, the Bellarc Advisor looks like a tool for serious geeks, but has features everybody can use. Development of Windows 10 lumbers forward, but Spartan, the replacement for Internet Explorer, still isn't available in the preview program. In short circuits, installing the Windows 10 preview doesn't always work quite the way you think it will. In a surprise move, the big ISPs have filed suit against the Federal Communications Commission, and warnings about rogue Android apps not downloaded from the Play Store. In spare parts only on the website, finding an old math coprocessor in the back of a drawer this week was amusing, trying to safeguard data stored in the cloud, and Microsoft works with Samsung to put Office on Android devices. Okay, relax. I'm not contagious, particularly on a podcast. (coughs) Then again, if you need the registration key that's associated with an application but you've forgotten it, call the Bellarc Advisor. If you want to know how many disk drives are installed in your computer and how close they are to capacity, call the Bellarc Advisor. How much memory? Call the Bellarc Advisor. Security updates. Yep, Bellarc Advisor. Accounts set up on your system. You know who to call, come on. So you've probably noticed a pattern here, and you're wondering how much all of this analytical power costs. Well, for home users, it's free. Bellarc Advisor analyzes software, hardware, and the operating system running on a computer. It also reviews security configurations and does a pretty good job of reporting problem areas. Besides being easy to install and not including any additional applications you don't want, it stores information about your computer on your computer, not on somebody else's server. When starting the program, you'll see a message explaining that the application needs to have administrator privileges on the machine. It won't write any information to sensitive areas of the computer, and it won't make any changes. But to provide a comprehensive look at the computer, it does need privileges that allow it to see the entire computer. The advisor checks the computer's antivirus applications and reports whether it's up to date and enumerates any missing security updates. After that, the system report is more or less standard for applications such as this. You'll see operating system details, what kind of computer it's running on, processor and mainboard information, drives and memory, hard drive capacities and contents, network drives, usernames, printers, controllers, display system, communications, group policies, attached devices, and a network map. Installed applications that have embedded license information will be displayed. Now, this is really useful if you need an installation key when registering the software online, but you've forgotten what it is. There's also a long list of software versions and usage. The Bellarc Advisor will tell you if an application has been used within the past seven days, within the past 90 days, within the past year, or not used at all for more than a year. Some applications won't be marked. This indicates the advisor simply lacks the data to determine the last use. 
You might consider that key retrieval function that I mentioned to be silly, but what if you need to migrate an application or a bunch of them to a new computer? Without the appropriate installation keys, you'll be stuck in demo mode. The Bellarc Advisor will retrieve the keys for software installed on the system, and if you don't have the software keys used by every application on your computer stored somewhere right now, then download this application, retrieve the keys, copy the file, and then save it somewhere. The advisor shows security updates that apply to the computer but are not currently installed, and it recommends installing any security updates that are classified as critical or important. The bottom line for the Bellarc Advisor, five cats. It's a favorite for geeks, but not solely for geeks. This is a useful application, regardless of your level of geekiness. Some of the information may puzzle even the technologically elite, but don't let that scare you away. There's still lots of information here, even for those who think RAM is a goat. Additional details are on the Bellarc website. There is a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. The question most people are asking these days about Windows 10 is, when? When will Windows 10 be released? Well, it might be June, but it certainly is going to be prior to the end of the summer, and that puts Microsoft a little bit ahead of schedule. So where are we now? The Windows 10 technical preview was released for computers in September of last year, and previews are now available for tablets and phones. Microsoft's goal is to build an operating system that provides a unified interface from servers to phones and everything in between. Windows 8 and 8.1 were the first steps along that path. The company skipped Windows 9, and Windows 10 appears to have largely achieved cross-platform similarity so far. And now Microsoft has released the Software Developers Kit that will allow developers to build apps intended to work on phones, tablets, and computers. Universal apps is the term Microsoft uses to describe these applications designed to provide similar experiences on all types of computing devices. Developers will have access to numerous new features that will be available in Windows 10. The Adaptive UX, that's the name of the new user interface, it's expected to allow apps to adapt to any screen size, from those on smartphones to big desktop computers. The user interface will also allow apps to modify their behavior depending on the method a user chooses to work with the computer. Touchscreen, mouse and keyboard, voice, or some combination. And then there's Internet Explorer. Forgotten, but not yet gone. The successor to Internet Explorer, Spartan, will do something that no Microsoft browser has ever done before. It'll be designed so that code from what Microsoft calls major web entities can be used. This means that code from Adobe that's been inserted into other browsers will be able to be used in Spartan. Typography and design should be improved and possibly, just possibly, some of the special tweaks that site developers have been forced to include for IE compatibility will eventually no longer be needed. Technical Preview Build 10041 is currently being pushed out to preview subscribers in the slow ring, that's most of us. Fast ring subscribers receive updates sooner, but those in the slow ring benefit from input provided by fast ring subscribers when something doesn't work quite right. The new build isn't available for Windows phones yet. 
and it doesn't yet include Project Spartan, the browser that'll replace IE. Microsoft isn't saying anything yet about when preview subscribers will get a close-up look at that new browser. The new build includes a security update, though, that addresses what's called the Freak vulnerability and a variety of updates that resolve certain crash situations. So that might make you want to hurry up and download the preview. But hold on a second. In short circuits, let's call this one running as fast as you can to stay in the same place. Walking around the block half a dozen times might make you feel like you're making progress, but in the end, all you've done is expend time and energy only to find yourself where you started. That was my experience last weekend with the Windows 10 technical preview on an older Toshiba satellite computer. I'm not yet willing to trust the technical preview on the desktop system, After all, I need it to function reliably every day. And I also don't want to trust it on an up-to-date notebook computer that I need to use nearly every day for important things. So far then, the Windows 10 Preview is installed only on an older 32-bit notebook, and it's one that I hardly ever use. Another notebook computer, a 64-bit Toshiba satellite with a solid-state drive, seemed like a good choice. I use it every day, but not for anything essential seemed like an ideal computer to use for testing. The Windows 10 Technical Preview is supposed to install over an existing Windows 7, 8, or 8.1 installation and retain all existing applications. Instead, I was offered the option of keeping my data files or keeping nothing. Well, that's the same behavior I saw on the 32-bit notebook, so I decided to go ahead with the installation regardless. The process started, continued for a bit, and then the installer told me that it could not install Windows 10 as an upgrade. This computer is a dual boot system with Ubuntu Linux, figured that was probably the problem, so I removed the Linux partition and tried again. Nothing doing. The next step involved booting from the installation CD and installing Windows 10 from there, Knowing that this would make reverting to the previous version of Windows impossible, I used Macrium Reflect to create a disk image. The Windows 10 installation started, ran, and concluded without a problem. I connected to the network, I signed in with my Windows credentials, and I entered the new security code that Microsoft sent to my phone. Perfect. Or maybe, as Maxwell Smart used to say, missed it by that much! The installer program had been unable to detect the computer's monitor, except as a generic flat panel. Resolution, 1024 by 768. The result was unpleasant because the screen actually has a resolution of 1366 by 768. So I visited Toshiba's support site, found the latest video drivers from 2012, downloaded the installer. The installer immediately told me that it could not install the video drivers. So it was Macrium Reflect to the rescue. After plugging in the external hard drive that contained the disk image, I dropped the Macrium Recovery CD into the computer's tray and rebooted. Several times around the block, and I'm right back where I started. The Macrium Reflect Restore completed. 
I unplugged the external drive, removed the recovery CD, and the computer booted to Windows 8.1 as if nothing at all had happened, except for several hours of essentially wasted effort. The title I mentioned at the beginning of this segment is, of course, a reference to Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass. Well, in our country, said Alice, still panting a little, you generally get to somewhere else if you run very fast for a long time, as we've been doing. Well, that's a slow sort of country, said the Queen. Now here, you see, it takes all the running you can do just to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. Now, here's a big surprise. The U.S. Telecom Association, that's a trade group that includes most of the big broadband providers, and San Antonio's Alamo Broadband have filed suit against the Federal Communications Commission in an attempt to upset the FCC's net neutrality ruling. U.S. Telecom says the rules are not legally sustainable and claims that it does not block or throttle traffic. Now, assuming U.S. Telecom's members do not block or throttle traffic, one wonders why they feel the need to file suit against a rule that would prohibit them from doing just what they say they're not doing. The two suits, and more are probably coming, are likely to drag on for several years. The legal question might be whether U.S. Telecom and Alamo Broadband have the legal standing to sue. Legal standing refers to the ability of a plaintiff to demonstrate sufficient connection to and harm from a particular issue. Standing is typically the result of certain conditions being applicable. First, the party must be directly subject to an adverse effect. Now, the plaintiffs say they don't do what the ruling would prohibit them from doing, so how exactly are they harmed? Second, a party who isn't directly harmed can claim the subject of their suit has some reasonable relationship to their situation. Maybe that's what they have in mind. Or third, the plaintiff may have been granted automatic standing. Now, clearly, I'm not a lawyer, but that would seem not to apply. Alamo says the FCC ruling exceeds the commission's authority and that the ruling is arbitrary and capricious, as well as being contrary to the Constitution and law. Not that we would suspect a telecom trade association and a specific broadband provider would work together to file nearly identical but separate suits in two different courts on the same day. But the U.S. telecom suit reads a lot like the one filed by Alamo, and it also claims that the ruling was made in violation of notice and comment procedures. Perhaps the person who wrote that didn't notice the months and months of public comments that were so intense that they caused the FCC's antiquated communications equipment to fail several times. have a smartphone or a tablet, you'll find apps are everywhere. But downloading them from anywhere other than the device's official store can be dangerous. By default, Android devices will install apps only from the Play Store. This can be changed in the settings, but doing so would expose the device to malware. 
Palo Alto Network says that a widespread vulnerability in Google's Android mobile operating system can allow attackers to hijack the installation of seemingly safe Android applications. The process silently replaces a valid Android package file with a package file that will install malware. The problem affects about half of all current Android devices. It could allow attackers to distribute malware, compromise devices, and steal user data. In response, Palo Alto Networks has released an application that allows Android users to diagnose their devices. The flaw, discovered by Palo Alto Networks Unit 42 threat researcher Zhi Zhu, exploits Android's package installer in a way that allows attackers to silently gain unlimited permissions on compromised devices. During installation, Android applications list the permissions requested to perform their function. A messaging app, for example, might request access to SMS messages, but not GPS location. The flaw allows attackers to display a limited set of permissions being requested while potentially gaining full access to all services and data on the user's device, and that includes personal information and passwords. So you might think you're installing a file manager or a barcode scanner and that the application is requesting reasonable and limited permissions. But when you give the app permission to proceed, it takes more than it requested. The Unit 42 threat intelligence team has worked with Google and Android device manufacturers such as Samsung and Amazon to patch the vulnerability in affected versions of the operating system. Some older version Android devices, though, may still remain vulnerable. The vulnerability affects only those Android applications downloaded from third-party sources. That's important. Not those installed from Google Play. The company recommends that users who have vulnerable devices install applications only from Google Play because they're downloaded into a protected space that cannot be overwritten by the attacker. Actually, using just the Google Play Store is a pretty good idea for everybody. Most devices that are running Android 4.3, R0.9, and later are safe. But some Android 4.3 devices have been found to be vulnerable. So if you're running Android 4.4.4, or if you're one of the lucky people running version 5, you're probably okay. But still, it's a better idea to check with just the Play Store. To test your device, you can download the scanner from the Google Play Store. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And if you'd like more information about the exploit, you can visit the Palo Alto Networks website. There's also a link there from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And speaking of the website, in spare parts, which is only on the website, finding an old math coprocessor in the back of a drawer this week, I found that kind of amusing. I have a picture on the website. Trying to safeguard data stored in the cloud. And Microsoft is working with Samsung. They're trying to put Office on Android devices. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.